Hey everybody, Pete Redden with another episode of The Way I Taught It. I'm out on the road this week giving check rides in the great state of Tennessee, and one of the things I wanted to do was get a podcast out as soon as possible about Power Off 180s. I've been putting this off for about two weeks, three weeks now, and I just decided, hey, I'm going to bring my microphone on the road with me. Uh, I'm going to use my iPhone and a couple of notes that I've made and just give you a a good idea of how to execute a power off 180 with the information that comes out of the airplane flying manual or the airplane flying handbook and the airman certification standards and techniques that I've learned throughout my time uh, in the United States Air Force on how to land an aircraft with the power at idle simulating an engine failure. The first thing I want to cover with you guys is something called air distance. So air distance, if you follow along with me, is based on your takeoff and landing distance, specifically your landing distance. So if you were to calculate your landing distance over a 50-foot obstacle, let's just use in this case a DA-40, your landing distance would be about 1,800 feet over a 50-foot obstacle. Now we go back, we take away that 50-foot obstacle, and we determine our ground roll. And our ground roll is about 900 feet. So that leaves an air distance from 50 feet above the ground to touchdown of 900 feet as long as you're in a landing flap configuration. So if I cross over the threshold on a power off 180 at 50 feet with landing flaps, I should glide about 900 feet down the runway, pretty close to the 1,000 foot markers. Now one of the things we have to remember is as we have more and more headwind, that air distance is gonna shrink. And I believe in the DA-40, for about every 10 knots of headwind, you're gonna decrease your total landing distance by about 30%. So for every knot of headwind you have, you're going to decrease that air distance by about 3%. So that's if it's a direct headwind. Uh, we'll get into crosswinds later on in the, in the podcast. So the power off 180, if we think about working from the runway backwards, if we're trying to touch down a thousand feet down the runway on the thousand foot markers, we need to cross or float through a hoop or glide through a hoop that is 50 feet above the runway and a hundred feet inside of the threshold and that way if we hit that hoop at 50 feet on airspeed with landing flaps we know every single time in a no-win situation we're going to touch down at the thousand foot markers so now how do we get from a thousand feet agl a beam our touchdown point all the way around through base and final to that hoop that we've placed at 50 feet let me see if I can explain this to you uh, without using my dry erase board, although I have a picture of my dry erase board in front of me and how I would want to explain this. So let's continue to back this up. The DA-40, if you are 1,000 feet AGL, will glide 1.5 nautical miles with a windmilling propeller. So if I'm at 1,000 feet abeam my touchdown point and I pull the power to idle and I set 76 knots glide speed, I'm going to travel 1.5 nautical miles whether that's straight ahead or whether that's a, a curved approach to the runway. So if I break this down into three pieces, basically the downwind leg, the base leg, and the final approach leg, I can take that 1.5 and divide it by three and go, okay, I'm gonna travel a half a mile downwind, a half a mile on my base, and a half a mile on final approach, which requires me to be about a half a mile displaced from my runway. So when that power comes idle and I set 76 knots, I know that I'm gonna go forward a half mile, turn left or right to base, travel a half mile to final approach, and then turn right or left onto final approach, 
aiming for that hoop that we've set at 50 feet to glide through that with landing flaps on airspeed to touch down 900 feet beyond it. So now let's put a couple of hoops out uh, in front of the, the first one at 50 feet, or I should say the last one at 50 feet, that we can glide through at our glide speed of 76 knots, or whatever your glide speed is in your air, airplane, so that we can determine are we high or low on energy. Because the ACS says we have to be able to determine what energy state we're in to make the right decisions on what we need to do with drag devices or slipping the airplane or adjusting the airspeed to adjust our altitude because we don't at this time we're just a, basically a glider. So the airplane flying manual talks about high key, low key, and base key. And this is something that we used in the Air Force. And these are hoops that are out there. High key is above the airport at a certain altitude over your touchdown zone. Base key, uh, or sorry, uh, low key would be where we begin the power off 180, which is opposite direction, the runway that we're landing on at the thousand foot markers and a thousand feet high at our glide speed. And then base key is basically halfway through the maneuver uh, from low key to the runway. But I'm gonna introduce um, some other keys, if you will, and we'll call them corner keys. So if I begin a thousand feet AGL, 76 knots, a beam my touchdown point, power idle, as I fly forward, and in this scenario, once I fly a third of my glide distance, I should lose about a third of my altitude. So if I'm starting at 1,800 feet MSL, I should lose about 333 feet. So my first corner key, where I'm going to turn from downwind to base, remember this is no wind, downwind to base, is going to occur around 1450 MSL. So I'm going to turn, 30 degree bank turn, to a base key, or sorry, to a base leg, and then I'm going to continue to glide at 76 knots until it's time to turn on final. And when I turn on final, if I want to be one half a mile from the threshold, from that 50 foot hoop, and I have a 1.5 nautical mile glide distance, I should have now descended 660 feet. So now I'm going to be about 1100 feet MSL, 11 to 1200 feet MSL, as I turn final, and that puts me at about 333 feet-ish, if you really want to be technical, nerdy and exact, above the ground, which in a DA-40 is going to give me a half mile glide. Clean configuration, no flaps yet. Now, as I approach that 50-foot hoop, I can use my flaps, I can put them in, I can take them out, because if they're electrically driven or manually driven, as like a Piper Warrior, Piper Archer, I can put those flaps in and out as required as a drag device to help me get down and be more precise. Now, if they're hydraulically driven off of the engine and the engine is simulated no longer running, well, then you're kind of stuck. You're going to put them down and they're going to stay down. You're not going to be able to bring them back up. But if they're manually adjusted or electrically adjusted, you technically still can bring the flaps up and kind of use them almost like a spoiler or a speed brake as opposed to just a flap. So they're used as a drag device. And I'm trying to hit that 50-foot hoop with flaps landing at 76 knots so that I can glide the rest of that 900 feet to my touchdown point because I determine that by my air distance. So now you're asking me, well, those are all great and there's a lot of math going on. And that's part of the process. The airplane flying manual and the airman certification standards both say 
that you must have a plan to do this. And when I hear the word plan in aviation, that means on the ground. That doesn't mean in-flight. Now, is there in-flight planning? Sure, there's always in-flight planning. But this is a known maneuver on a known exam with known requirements that have known consequences. So it's best to plan before you get airborne on how you're gonna do this. So if we hit these key hoops, all right, the two corner keys from downwind to base and base to final, we maintain our 76 knots, and we're talking zero wind, every time this should work out. But, but there's a few more things that we have to discuss. What happens if you're too high? Well, you can add flaps, you can slip. As long as you don't let your airspeed increase, you're gonna be okay, because if you add drag and your airspeed increases, you're basically losing altitude twice as fast as you want to. The other thing is, is what if I'm on final approach and I'm fast or slow? Well, we'll talk about that. How do you know if you're high or low on final approach? And we'll talk about that here for just a second. If you keep your flaps up and you follow these keys around, when you roll out on final, you will need to pick an aim point. Now, I'm familiar with the DA-40, and I know that I need to pick an aim point about seven to 900 feet short of where I want to touch down in the DA-40. And I need to put that aim point in the kind of the top of the bottom third of my windscreen. So just below halfway up. So it's in the bottom part of the windscreen and it's in kind of the middle of the bottom part of the windscreen. And I use that as my aim point and I hold my aim point in that position as best as I can. And then I cross check my airspeed. If my airspeed is maintaining 76 knots, I know I'm on energy and I'm perfect and I'm gonna hit my hoop right at 50 feet. I know that if my airspeed is increasing, I'm high on energy, which means I need to add drag devices or slip. So I start, maybe I'll start adding flaps to get my airspeed under control uh, with that, that drag. And once I have my airspeed under control with the flaps, I know I'm gonna hit my 50 foot hoop. Now, if I'm aiming at that point and my airspeed is slow, I know I'm going to come up short, which none of us want to do, but that's the reality of it. If your airspeed is bleeding off or slow when you're holding that aim point, you're low on energy and you're most likely not going to make the runway and you better leave your flaps up and you better just get that 76 knots, maybe pick a new aim point a couple of degrees more uh, steeper to kind of build that airspeed up and hopefully you can use ground effect to your advantage to kind of float a little bit further down the runway to meet your aim point or maybe your instructor or your examiner will allow you to adjust your aim point on final probably not i would just say plan to execute this as perfectly as possible and always stay just slightly above the perfect energy so always stay a little bit high uh, on your altitudes when you're hitting these key positions another thing that we need to work on with our applicants with our students is when you turn from downwind to base Every student pilot, every pilot should be asking themselves, am I high or am I low? And you should be answering that question immediately. As soon as you turn base, am I high or am I low? And then answer it, whether you're right or wrong. Because what it does is it triggers the cycle of decision-making to start occurring in your brain. Am I high or am I low? Am I high or am I low? And you start asking that question over and over again. And we need to get our applicants, we need to get our student pilots, we need to get ourselves asking that question as soon as we roll wings level on base, am I high or am I low? And then adjust accordingly.
Remember, the time to make adjustments is when you're further out from the runway, especially if they're big ones, because you don't want to be diving out the runway at the last minute. So again, if you're starting a thousand feet AGL, set your glide. If you know your glide is 1.5 nautical miles or whatever it is, divide that by three. So if it's 1.5, you're going to glide 1.5 nautical miles straight ahead, 0.5 miles on your base and 0.5 miles on your final approach. No wind, set your hoops out there for about 350 feet, right? So if you're starting at 1,000 feet AGL and you're at sea level, your, your next hoop is gonna be about 650 feet from uh, downwind to base, and from base to final, it's gonna be about 350 feet. And then you're looking at that 50-foot hoop just inside the approach end of the runway, and you wanna hit that hoop while you're putting your flaps uh, to take off and establishing your final glide speed to take you that last 900 feet of air distance to your perfect touchdown point and your perfect nose high stall pitch altitude landing. Let's talk a little bit about wind. If you have a direct headwind, we already discussed that you need to read your POH and your landing performance data to figure out you know, how much do I have to decrease uh, my distances, especially specifically the air distance with a headwind. It just happens to work out in a DA40 that it's about, for every knot of headwind, it's about a 3% decrease. Easily, easy enough. So everything stays the same, except you're going to move that hoop closer to your touchdown point or move your touchdown point closer to the hoop. One of them is going to stay stationary. The other one's going to move. But how does that affect you in the actual maneuver from downwind through base and on final approach? Really, it's a wash when it's a headwind because that headwind's gonna be pushing you on downwind, helping you out, keeping you high on energy, and then you're gonna use that extra energy to fight it when you're on final approach. But what if it's a crosswind? Because you could have a crosswind that when you turn base, the wind is in your face, or you could turn base and have a tailwind on the base leg. So there, there's lots of schools of thought on this, I'll just give you my opinion. I would rather have a tailwind on base than a headwind on base. Because a headwind on base is just really gonna hold you up and it's not gonna let you make a normal pattern and it's gonna kinda have an angular final approach to it, which is a little bit more difficult uh, for a aspiring pilot to judge and determine energy state. If it's a tailwind, you'll be able to still make that normal rectangular pattern. It's just when you're on base, you're going to see yourself getting really, really high on base, and the student will be able to maintain a normal rectangular ground track and institute either a slip or f go to flaps takeoff or flaps landing earlier, and they will have the additional energy to manage to get to the runway. Where if you have your wind in the face on base, it's going to actually take energy away from you or altitude away from you. Um, and, and make a, a unique situation a, a harder problem to solve. So I'd rather have that tailwind on base if you have a choice, especially if you're going into a, a farmer's field or you actually have a dead engine. I would look at, okay, do I want to make a left-hand pattern or a right-hand pattern based on having a tailwind on base and then a crosswind on final approach? So there's my thoughts on the Power Off 180. Uh, love to hear your feedback. Uh, my email address is Peter dot redden dot dpe at gmail.com that's p-e-t-e-r dot r-e-d-d-a-n dot d-p-e 
at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find Vapor Global Aviation on Facebook. And uh, always uh, love to hear your feedback and how we can do things better on the podcast. Hope that helps you out. I host, hope it at least starts a conversation amongst pilots and applicants and instructor pilots. And hopefully you guys will take that and run with it and, and hopefully make something even better to help your students become more proficient uh, and learn the Power Off 180 a little quicker and a little bit more resilient and and that it, it occurs on a consistent basis. They can do it on a consistent basis with this because it's it's a sticking point on the commercial exam. A lot of folks teach a lot of weird stuff, and I'm hoping just to kind of bring it back to the ACS and the airplane flying manual. So that's it. Power off 1A. It's the way I taught it. We'll talk to you again.